Hi, everybody. You can sit down, sit down. Thank you for the standing O, even though half of you don't know me. That's awesome. I love honor. Um, I'm so glad to be here with you guys. And I was, uh, you know, when we originally accepted this with Chris Ritchie, I've known Chris for a couple years now, and Chris and Carly, and I was so sad they couldn't be here, but I'm so glad I got to meet with uh, Zach and Rochelle. I don't know, we would have, I don't think we would have spent as much time with you if Chris had been here. So, you know, we're not glad for why Chris is gone, but we're glad he's gone for a second, just so we could have bonded. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, I'm a pastor in Los Angeles. My wife and I pastor a church called Expression 58, and a teenager named it. It's about Isaiah 58 and the creative expressions about justice, because our church is all about love, creativity, and justice. Well, thank you. And so we um, do radical missions to the poor, especially war zones and red zones. Then we also do outreach in Los Angeles to the poor there. And also we go to like entertainment events and we do all kinds of things, sometimes prophetic evangelism, sometimes we just serve them. And like this weekend, there was an event with Unlikely Heroes, which is an anti-human trafficking organization. And our team went, our whole school ministry school went and became the volunteer service for this anti-trafficking night, which is so amazing. And then we've done stuff like this so consistently. It's so fun to see a group of people who, if you ask our church, how many of you really understand the issue of human trafficking in the nations? Probably 90% of our church would raise their hands on the few hundred that come. And that's just so cool that we have like a group of people who are like, they understand child slavery. They understand children at risk. They understand like most people in our church can go up and talk to a prostitute and actually have a really good time with God and with them just to love them, which is really cool because most of us don't come from a background where we would understand the lifestyle, but there's something in our people's DNA that's like, we want to touch the extremes of the earth. We want to touch anywhere God can get glory. We're not afraid of. So I, I love coming from a church like that. And I always miss them when I'm on a Sunday morning somewhere else. But, man, this was good this morning. I love the worship. That was so good. Don't ever stop doing worship because you're a pastor, too. You carry something that's so strong. It's so strong. Reminds me of Anthony Skinner a little bit. Has anybody ever told you that? Do you know who that is? Anthony Skinner, he's a good friend, and he's, uh, he'll actually be at our church next week. But you kind of remind me of something that you're carrying to even champion other musicians that he has. It's just so cool. But don't ever stop doing it. It was a beautiful worship. Um, this is my wife, Cherie, uh, right here on the front row. And then my, my baby, Harper. And Harper is our, our model. I call her headbands, her Aunt Jemima headbands. I love them. She's so cute. She, um, we, we didn't know. People kept coming up to us and asking us, is that a boy or a girl? So we got her ears pierced. I made Cherie do it. I was like, we're going to get her ears pierced. And our, my best friends are Hispanic, and they loved it. They're like, yes, you're doing it at the right time. Like, I mean, they would get their daughter's ears piercing right when they're born type thing. And they're like, yes, you understand, you know. And so then, uh, then we, she wears bows all the time as part of her fashion accessories. Now she has a little necklace, but I think it's for teething. But she's so much fun. And, and this morning I, I told the earlier service that I was actually teaching her how to be a warrior. So she's like learning how to growl. Like, Rah! So if you look at our Facebook, you'll see Harper growling. And um, she's, she does better than I do as far as worrying, which is really cute. My mom's like, you're teaching her boy things. I'm like, I'm not either. I'm teaching her how to be a warrior. <laughs> so, yeah, she did it first. She started it herself. Okay, so I want to talk to you guys this morning. I'm going to do some ministry at the end. And, um, and I want to talk to you about it's kind of the same thing I talked about today, but a little different twist on, which is love has eyes. And when you're in love with God and when you're in love with what he's in love with, you see things differently. And it doesn't take God to see negative things at all. Like, so... Those people who are prophets who come in and they tell you all the negative things about life and yourself and whatever else, that's discernment or even less than discernment. That's like just, you know, a function of we can people read very easily. But it takes God to hear what he says about those kinds of things and bring it into his will and bring it into his perfect good desire. And so for me personally, like I used to think I was super um, gifted because I would see all kinds of things. And I thought I was like, this is, I, I see all these things about people and I know what people are doing wrong and I know how to address it. And the more I got to know God's heart, the more I understood that when we see his heart, we can only see the redeemed form of man. It's really hard to see what they're not doing. It's really hard to see the ugly. It's really hard to focus on that and be okay with it. Because God has a higher word, a higher love, a higher perspective than we'll ever have. And so love has eyes. And part of understanding love has eyes is understanding some of the figures in the Bible who supernaturally demonstrated love to people who are outside of themselves. Like Daniel 
who served Nebuchadnezzar, which is pretty amazing because it was a Babylonian empire who had done genocide against several races. And Daniel was a smart dude, but he was also a compassionate lover of God. So the fact that he was okay serving in the Babylonian courts, Nebuchadnezzar, and he kind of got drafted and he was sort of a slave, but not, and how it happened. But he loved Nebuchadnezzar and he, he was trying for the redemption of Babylon because he saw what it could be if they would just choose differently. As a matter of fact, when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, Daniel didn't assume it wasn't God. He actually assumed God gave him the dream. This was not a Hebrew man or a believer or anything. Daniel assumed that, he said, isn't it God who gives dreams? And I think that there's a mentality change that God wants to bring to us as Christians where we realize that God so values people in this world that it's not us and them. Like, we're the ones who have the answers and they're the ones who are waiting for our answers. God's actually speaking to people, just like Joseph with Pharaoh. God's speaking to people all the time. He's giving dreams all the time. He imparts a heart of like what it would be to live the best version of life when we're little kids. Even if, I mean, I see it in war zones. Every once in a while you could see it where it's not um, as prominent, but there's a dreamer in almost every society and in almost every culture. Sometimes the dream is a survival dream. Sometimes the dream is a big dream for life. But there's something inside people that they usually know if they're living under the scale of what God's called them to. There's something inside them that's like, when I was made for more. There's more inside of me. And you as a Christian, you get to show up and validate that yes in their heart for more. Because love is always calling people into a better condition than they are, into the best version of themselves. In Romans 8, I love the Message Bible, how it says it, but, but uh, it says that, that, you know, God had an original intention of what he designed. And Jesus came to restore that original intention. And some of us don't realize that when we look at people, we're not supposed to look with our natural eyes. That's why, you know, when Samuel went to all of David and his brothers, he, uh, he saw all the brothers, and, and, and he didn't see David yet. And he's like, oh, maybe this one's him. Maybe this one's him. And then it's like, the Lord told him, no, none of these are the one that you're supposed to pray for. And finally he goes, do you have any more? And they're like, well, we have David, but he's like out in the field. He's like, the, no, he's the least likely. This isn't going to happen. And he sees David, and he's like, you're the one. And that's what the heart of God is. It's not just a gifting or these men of God who are awesome in the Bible or women of God. It's actually the heart of God allows us to see past what's natural. And values people for where they're at, even when they're not necessarily, in human terms, valuable. Because I look at it like this. You know, the reason why we go into Congo in the war zone and we're building schools, like we have about 700 people now in our, our children in our schools, and they're learning all their primary care, our primary elementary and that kind of thing in our schools, and we're going to try and train them as far as we can take them. But these are kids that were in IDP camps, displaced people camps, and they had nowhere to go. And to go to school, it costs money. Well, we made it free for them, and we're bringing them in. And we hire teachers from these same displaced people camps to teach them. And we're not just trying to build schools as a Christian group. I mean, that's a noble thing to do, to build schools. But we see something. Because when I was in uh, Korea several years ago, how many of you have ever been to South Korea? Anybody? So one person in the room. And it's a very interesting country because just 60 years ago, 70 years ago, it was, it was a third world nation, underdeveloped nation. They call it developing nation, which means that it's not developed at all, right? It was the most occupied nation in history more, besides Israel. More people occupied Korea and went to war with Korea than any other people group in history. And they're the most peaceful people. They didn't even have an army until 50 years ago. They've had small armies several times, and that's it. They didn't have a consistent army. And so the fact that they've been so bombarded in history with people trying to have an agenda towards them, and the fact that they weren't, didn't have a genocide which wiped them out, but they actually have a people group that are Koreans is amazing. Now, when I went to Korea, I, I ended up talking to the Compassion International guys. And if you've ever heard of that, it's the third, world, third uh, biggest uh, organization for compassion in the world for Christians. And they're the ones who you can adopt an orphan and you can put them on their fridge and you can pay their schooling and their tuition all the way through college and pray for them every day and just love them from afar. And it's a real kid that you're actually praying for. It's not like 20 people get the same kid. Each person is assigned a different kid. And you can, and this is an awesome organization you can still do. But the founders of Compassion International had a dream and a vision in their heart that if they would go in and educate a group of Korean orphans all the way through college, that these orphans would be tomorrow's leaders. So, I mean, that's a radical vision to go into a country that's completely oppressed, was war-torn, and they said, we're going to do this ministry where we call Canada and America to support the orphans all the way through college because we know education is powerful, and we feel like God's showing us that this country is going to be a leading country in Asia. And right now, it's, it's the opposite But in these days that they had this vision. But we know it's going to be something different. So they, they actually 
had all these orphanages, send their kids to school. They'd send them to really good schools all the way through college. And the first crop of Compassion International kids, they didn't work at hotels and they didn't work at restaurants as, as dishwashers. They became like civil servants. They became educators. They became doctors. They became lawyers. So they, they had that vision, though, that we need to raise them up into leadership in society to rebuild society according to God's original plan. And so you have South Korea and one generation recovered. Now, if we didn't have South Korea, we would be behind in automobile science, agricultural science, and medical science, in about 10 different areas, computer science. We would be behind 10 to 50 years because what God put redemptively in South Koreans was technologies and training. And if they weren't developed, something would be missing that God may be able to raise up somewhere else, but he had a design to do it through the South Koreans. And in one generation, their developed picture looked like a blessing to the world in all these different industries. Sometimes we don't realize why we're supposed to love the poor. We're not supposed to love the poor so they can get better. We're not supposed to love prostitutes so they can feel better about life. We're called to love people so they can come into God's original design, which is the best version of them. Because if they're oppressed, there's a reason why. They have something to bring to the world. You know, why was Korea the most oppressed place in Asia? Because it had something so redemptive in computer science, something so redemptive in automobile science for emissions to be decreased all over the world. I mean, something so redemptive. There's something inside of them that are so, I mean, such engineers, you know. And also, they sent out more missionaries than any country, not per capita, than any country, period, including America. I mean, it's an amazing nation that went from, like, 70-something percent Buddhism and spiritual, spiritualism to now it's like 60% Christian in just 60 years. It's crazy. And so I look at that, and we go into Congo because we're saying Congo has the most natural resources of any nation in the world. The reason why there's a war in Congo is because warlords moved in, realized that, started using child slaves to mine the resources, and started exporting the resources through brokerage companies to companies like Microsoft and Apple for our smart devices. Because they're the only ones who have certain minerals that actually makes everything cheaper for our smart devices. And so when there's a couple people who start to blow the whistle campaigns, like falling whistles, against these brokerage companies being used by major corporations like Apple and Microsoft and whoever else, and they've stopped using these brokerage firms that get it from warlords in Congo, which is amazing that that's happened. That's a first step. So the, the war is drying up in Congo, which means it's intensifying because there's not as much money coming in. So now they're really battling because they need something. There's no longer billions of dollars being fed into warlords in the country and even the government. So they're on the verge of a shift. And I believe as Christians, we can go in, and I'm just using this as an example that love has eyes. We can go in and say, God, there's never been a fully developed nation in Africa. What if Congo is one of the first? And what if the kids right now that are carrying AK-47s are actually going to be the presidents tomorrow, the governors tomorrow? They have a leadership calling on their life. And what if in my lifetime, by the time I'm 80 years old, Congo is a picture of redemption the way Korea was for Asia, Congo is for Africa. But there has to be something in your heart that when you look at people, when I'm hanging out with people on the streets, when I'm with people, I'm not looking at them for who they are or the condition of their heart today. Because if I do that, I will start to meet their needs of today, which doesn't resolve spiritual issues. I'm not saying we don't do acts of kindness. I love acts of kindness. But there has to be something inside of you that says, I'm going to go beyond an act of kindness and come into a kingdom act of God's sovereign heart. Calling forth what that which is not as though it is. So I was in Honolulu and um, Waikiki, you know, the town, staying two blocks off of the strip. And I was in a condo and I was doing this Asian um, uh, Bible school for like nine sessions in three days. It was crazy. And every night I'd come home starving because I just, I'm not like, I like some Korean food, amazing, like half of the food I love and the other half I don't love. And they happen to serve all the food that I didn't love at this particular place. So every night I'd come home to the hotel and they, we had an English barrier with my driver. So I'd get home and I'd be like, I'm so starving. I'm going to go walk to Subway. Well, I was in the red light district of Waikiki. So I had to walk past all the prostitutes, which is cool. But I don't, I don't ever think about that kind of stuff because we, it's not a dangerous red light district. It's actually very normal. So I was like, you know, going through and um, at 10.30 at night, 11 o'clock at night, going to Subway. And the first night, had a divine appointment with a, a ladyboy prostitute. It was so awesome. Loved this guy. And, um, and he was in transition trying to decide if he wanted to be a man or a woman. And we just had such an awesome time. And just, like, he came with me to Subway, and it was good. But on the second night, 
uh, I was walking past the, the beginning of the red light district where it wasn't jurisdicted by the, the pimps that are there. So it was like these young kids were over at this restaurant and that was closed down and I was walking past the restaurant and one of the guys who's maybe in his early 20s comes up and says, brah, you want something? And I'm like, yes, I want a Subway sandwich. <laughs> and he goes, come on, brah, come on. You want some weed? And I'm like, no, that will make me more hungry. I'm really hungry. I want a Subway sandwich. And he goes, you want a girl? And he points at this little girl who has to be 15 years old. And I'm like, no, now I'm, now I'm invested. I don't care about my sandwich. You know, like now I'm invested. I look at her and I go, no, I don't. And he goes, do you want a boy? And I'm like, no, I don't want a boy. And there's like a 17-year-old boy next to her. And I can tell just because I've been around a little bit of this community that these guys are brand new to this. And they're not, he's not a real pimp. And he's just, they're just in it for the drugs or whatever. And so, or money for drugs or whatever. And they're all runaways, you know. So I go over to the girl and I go, hey, tell me something. I'm, I'm a Christian and I just want to ask you, you know, like, what's your dream in life? And she looks at me and she goes, I don't have one. And I said, well, here's what I think. I think God loves you so much. And I want you to borrow my faith that God will talk to you because I think that you, you're awesome. And I think that God wants to show you a dream in life so that you can actually live a life that's, like, worth it. Like, I think you're not happy with your life right now. So I think, I think you're amazing. Like, so let's pray. And I, I'm going to ask God a question, and then we're going to wait for him to answer you. And I'm, I've, like, never done this before on the street. So I, she goes, okay. And she's just completely, like, in, you know. So I go, God, you thought of her for millions of years before you created her. And we know that you have a plan for her life and things that if she did them, she'd be so happy. Show her one of those things right now, God. And she goes, <gasps> I'm like, what, what? I'm so excited. I'm like, what? You know, like I have no idea because I'm not prophesying to her. I'm not the one who's bringing the encounter, right? She goes, I'm supposed to be a cook. And I start laughing. I'm like, you mean a chef? She goes, yeah, 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 chef. And I go, do you like cooking? She goes, I love cooking. And I go, that's amazing. That's like, have you ever thought of this before? She goes, no, I know I'd be happy if I was a chef. You know, this is awesome. Like God imparted ambition to her about something that she always loved doing. So I go, let's ask God for a step you can take this week with this so that you can come out of whatever you're doing now. She goes, okay. So we pray. And she goes, <gasps> like right away, instantly. And I go, what, what? She goes, my, my uncle, who's my mom's brother, who my mom hates, who she's been estranged from. I had to run away from home because my mom's crazy. Her, my uncle, I've never really spent time with him because she hates him, but he's really amazing. And he has a restaurant, a diner, and I know he would hire me. I know he'd help me right now. She never thought of it before. And I go, do you promise me you'll call your uncle tomorrow? She goes, I promise you. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is the start of a new you. This is amazing. God loves you. He just, this is the beginning. And she's just like freaking out. And then her little friend next to her goes, I want a dream. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> So he did it all for him, you know, and he had the same kind of encounter happen where he got a dream, you know, and I just think how amazing is God? Like, like God has a value where it's not just you who are in the church every week who he wants to give dreams to. He's literally, before you were saved, he tried to interact with you a billion times. You just didn't always recognize it. And sometimes you did. I mean, how many of you remember times that God did something before you were saved? And you're like, he was so good. Like, it's not like he started becoming good today. Like you were made in his image. Can you imagine like you have a child out there and, and you love them with all your heart. And even if they're completely detached from you, as far as you can't have interaction with them very clearly, you wouldn't stop thinking about them or trying to invest into them or trying to be a part of their lives. You wouldn't be like, Oh, too bad. You know, I have other kids. There'd be something inside of you that would fight for love and he's fighting for love. And so we get to be part of that brokerage in between his love and the people he loves. And we get to stand there and like be part of the extreme God makeover for their life. Where all of a sudden Jesus comes. And uh, this young girl, I won't say her name just for the record because she doesn't need to be known right, right now. But she's um, working at her uncle's diner. This is just, that was I think in February. And so she called me a month ago and, and gave me her update. And she's telling me about her life and how much she's changed. And she's living with her aunt and uncle. And she's working at the diner. And she's learning management right now. And then I said, so what do you think this is going to turn into? And she's like, and she's going to a church. And she, she got saved that night. But she's, um, I didn't even know she, she like really got saved. But she's like, oh, yeah, and Jesus did it. And I was praying. And I'm like, who are you? You're like, she's turned 16. She's super excited. I go, so, so what, where is this going? She goes, well, I'm going to own a restaurant. I go, so one day you're gonna, are you going to go to like culinary school first? She goes, no, my uncle wants to open another restaurant. He's going to give me co-ownership by the time I'm 18. We've, we've made a plan. I'm like, who are you? And I like Hawaiian barbecue, you know, diners. 
I'm, I'm excited to go back there. But, uh, you know, I was in San Francisco, and I was on the phone with my wife right after a meeting at, from Revive San Francisco. Some of you might have heard of that church. great church. And I was staying in the Hilton Hotel by the airport, um, and they, it was about 11 o'clock at night. And so I didn't know this, but room service was about to close. And so I called room service, and I, I ended up being their last order. And so the guy who was a room service guy came to my door, and I was, like, all flustered because I'm talking to my wife, and I didn't know they'd come. It was, like, 10 minutes later. I was like, how did they do this? Like, no one I, – I have room service all the time. It never happens, but it's 10 minutes. It's like an hour is fast, you know? So I'm like, I, I opened the door, and I'm on the phone with Sheree, and so I'm like, ah, and then he ends up leaving, and I didn't sign my check, and I could tell there's something wrong with him. Like, he was really sad, and he left, and I thought, too bad, so sad. Anyways, you know, like, you're just, you kind of, you don't live in that moment other than that moment. So I'm just like, he left, and I thought, oh, well. Well, a few minutes later, he knocked on the door again. And I didn't sign the thing. So he goes, can you sign this? I said, sure. And so I had him come in and uh, to the room, and, and I was signing it. I got off the phone with Sheree, and I go, can I ask you something? He's like, yeah. And I said, are you okay? And he's like, no, my girlfriend broke up with me today. And I said, can we just sit down here for a second? Do you, do you have time to sit down for a few minutes? He goes, yeah, you're my last delivery. It's fine. And so I said, so tell me this. I said, I'm a Christian. I said, I believe that God is so good. And I just, like, he's really, like, wants the best for us. So, like, when you think in light of that, was she the best for you? Was she someone who actually like made you, you like, and did you make her, her, did you guys like, was it amazing? I just used my little Christian language that I knew how to use. And he goes, I don't know. And I said, well, let's, can we do something? Can we pray? And we're going to ask God together. Would that be weird for you? And he goes, I guess we can pray. And I said, okay, well, we're going to pray. And I, I hear from God. So I believe you'll hear from God too. Why not? I don't need to have a word for him. Why, what if God spoke to him? Cause then he will never doubt it ever. So he goes, okay, so we pray, and I go, just ask God, God, and he goes, God, is she the one you want me to marry? And I thought that was Harper for a second. I'm like, Harper, uh, is she the one I want you to marry? And he goes, no, she's not. Immediately he knew in the core of his being that it was an abusive, destructive relationship. And he goes, oh, my gosh. And he became grateful that he's no longer in a relationship with her, that she broke up with him because he was codependent and couldn't break up with her. So he's super excited. And I go, well, let's ask God this. What kind of woman do you have for me? And he got a few characteristics that she didn't have and a few things that she did have. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And it wasn't like ideal, weird woman. It was like really realistic things about trust and vulnerability and connection that they never had. So I said, I said, so um, what are some of the things that you gave her that you want back for someone else, for whoever you do want to marry? So we're doing like inner healing soul tie stuff. And then he goes, like, we're praying. And I'm, like, going, just take him back right now. I'm going to give her back everything she gave you so she can give it to somebody else. So we're doing, like, and then he goes through every girl he's ever been in a relationship with. I didn't ask him. I'm, like, doing soul ties for every girl he's ever slept with and every girl he's ever been. I'm, like, what in the heck's going on? Like, he's leading himself through inner healing. This is crazy. And then he's, like, this is awesome. Like, I feel God. I feel He's never been to church. He's never been preached the gospel. So then he's asking me about, like, how can they hang crosses in church? Can you explain it to me? Like, he's awakened. So I'm, like, explaining to him about the cross and the resurrection and the whole thing. And it's, we're like having discipleship, 10, 10 meetings in one, like in one 45 minute period. And by the end of it, I asked him, I said, so what makes you tick? What do you want to do in life? Like you've seemed like not just unhappy in this relationship, but it feels like you don't have a sense of what would make you happy in life. And he goes, I don't know. I mean, I know some things, but I just don't know what direction to go in. And I feel like I'm stuck. And I mean, how many of you feel like you're stuck, right? And we, we go to God and go, we know you're going to unstick us. Like, we have that. Thank God we're Christians. We, we know that God will move in our lives. We know he'll bring us further. But, I mean, if you're not saved, you don't necessarily know that. You're just hoping that one day it'll happen. You know, I, mean, I always look at American Idol, and I'm like, you're limited to three celebrity judges who may or may not notice you out of hundreds of thousands of people, and only one gets chosen. How awful is that? But we're limited to heaven, like, he loves us each the same, and will resource us each the same with his love. And so I looked at him and said, so let's pray. God, what are some of the things you made him for? So Mark says, God, what are the, the, some of the things you made me for? And so he starts, like, getting, he goes, I know what it is. I said, what? He goes, my parents have told me my whole life it won't work. I am made for music. I'm made to do music industry. I'm in this hotel management program at this hotel, or not management, but just hotel, whatever it's called program. And I'm not made for this. Like, I know there's, my friends here love their jobs. I hate my job. And he goes, and I'm just starting. It's terrible. And he goes, I'm made for music. And I said, well, what's stopping you from doing music? And he goes, I don't believe I'll be successful in it. And I said, why? 
And he told me all the reasons why. And I said, well, let's ask God what he thinks. So he asked God, what do you think about music? And he feels like, it's in my fabric of who I am. And I said, have you ever been told, like, critiqued about how you are? And he goes, yeah, everybody's told me my whole life I should do professional music except for my parents who are afraid because my dad failed as a musician. And I'm like, well, there it is. So, like, let's take your dad's failure off you. And that pressure that it's had to, you know, to be the most awesome or whatever, to be the greatest band off of you. And let's, like, like ask God for what your career is. And he got direction in that moment. I didn't prophesy once. It was crazy. Like, I just sat there and just, like, I felt like I facilitated. I, I'm not a good counselor, but I facilitated, like, a counseling appointment with God. I was just standing there going, this is so easy. Like, thank God I don't have to do anything except for say, maybe God will talk to you about this. Let's try. You know, it was just so easy. But what I did have to do is value the fact, like, Daniel, isn't God the giver of dreams? And when it was, you know, a little bit of imagination, I had to say, maybe that's not what God thinks. Or when it was a little bit from his hurt, I had to say, maybe let's ask again. That's all I had to do. It's just, like, bring him into the, the right theology for his encounter. I was on a plane with a lady, and I didn't want to talk to I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was upgraded to first class, which is always the nicest thing because I'm tall, and so it's nice to have first class. And I was really tired, and I had like a five-hour flight, and I was like, Jesus, you know, I have a yes in my heart for anything, but I don't want to talk to anybody right now, just so you know. So there's a no in my heart too. I said, you can do whatever you want, but I don't want to talk to a human being. So I, I love video games. Your sons are watching video game videos. I love it. I was like watching with them, going, I love this game. So I'm. I'm looking at video game magazines, trying to stay aloof. So Because usually, like, it's like the urinals at a men's bathroom. No one ever talks to each other. It's weird if you talk to each other. So on planes in first class, someone may say, hi, my name is that. And then if you, like, give the signal, like, I'm not going to talk to you, they won't. It's, I mean, there's signals. And so I gave the signal, and my signal was not only the signal, but it was like, she goes, hi, my name's so-and-so. I'm like, hi, I'm Sean. You know? <laughs> I made it so hard. And then she goes, and she looked, she was crying when I first got on the plane. And she looked just devastated. I'm like, no. <laughs> Danny so has that book called Keep Your Love On. I'm like, my love is turned off right now, God, just so you know. <laughs> but I have a big yes in worship last night. So if you really want to do it, I'll, I'll give you my yes, but I'm going to make it hard. You know, just we're so stubborn. And uh, so she goes, hi, so your name's Sean. So what do you do? And I go, and I thought, I'm going to make it the most religious response ever. I'm a Christian, and I go around teaching people about the supernatural and how to hear God's voice, because that sounds so flaky. So I was like, I'll just be really flaky and just do the stupidest answer. And we have a church in Hollywood, and blah, blah, blah. She's like, that's fascinating. I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of that. Could you tell me all about it? Like, why would you believe that? And I'm like, dang it, I don't want to talk to you. And she's cynical and she's sad. So she's coming across really cynical. And I'm like, I'm positive. I'm going to be a positive person. I don't want to be around cynicism right now. I'm tired enough as it is. And so I just kind of disengaged. And I went, I love how, like, when I said yes to you last night, you were like, thank you for that down payment for today when you want to say no. (laughs) You have no idea. It's so easy to be like, oh, yes. And then, like, three days later, he's like, remember that yes? Here it is. Here's what you said yes to. And you're like, you tricked me. Jehovah is sneaky. Jehovah's sneaky. So we talked. And so after about two and a half, three hours of doing, she pulled it out of me like a seminar on prophecy and hearing God's voice and why he loves us and why he talks to us. And I gave her the whole gospel. I mean, the whole Jesus, why he came, you know, for us and the whole thing. And I love the version I gave her. I was like, this is awesome. Like it really reformed me as I spoke to her. And at the end of it, she goes, you know what you're like? And I said, what? And she starts telling me, all these things about my future and all these things that other like prophets in the church have told me. And I go, you know what you're doing? And she goes, and I pardon this language, young children, you should never hear this, but she said, damn it, I'm prophesying. <laughs> the atheist prophesied to go, what does that make you think? She goes, God is real. And I think I'm going through a paradigm shift because my job isn't to do performance. My job is to be present in love. And when you think about who God is, God is not yesterday or tomorrow. He's eternal. 
So whenever he does come into time, it's in the present, the now. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So today is your most powerful day of your life. Like, you don't know about tomorrow. As a matter of fact, you may have promises about 10 years from now. And if your reach for that promise 10 years from now is greater than your contentment today, you're not even living anymore. If your reach for tomorrow is greater than your contentment today, you're not even living anymore. And if your sentimentality for how life was better yesterday is so much that you can't be present in today, you're not living anymore. And there's people who like their life better when their husband was alive or when their wife didn't divorce them or when their kids were nicer or when their, their revival happened in their church that they were involved with or whatever. And so they live present in that and they stop living for today. They're surviving today. You know, or they live so much and like one day I'll be, and we see it in Hollywood all the time. One day when I'm a star, that's when I'll really start living because that's when I'll have the resources, I'll have the talent, I'll have everything around me I need. And I'm like, you're not even alive. You're a shell. He came, that John 10.10, 10, to give you life and life abundantly in the present. When God steps into the present, it's a gift. He's being present with us. I mean, have you ever gone on a... a a social date with somebody like a friend or whatever, or even a romantic date or whatever. And you go on that date and the person is on their, their cell phone the whole time texting and not looking at you. And then everyone's sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, you know, and you're like, you're not a joy to be around. You could be the best person in the world, but my experience with you is not the best person in the world. Well, a lot of us are that way with God because we do all the talking. God is actually a person and likes to express himself. In the Bible, he's so expressive. And there's so many times that we've pulled out of being present so that we can be our own agenda. And it's not always working for us. I love Danny Silk. How's that working for you? Not very well. The people who complain to me consistently about how they don't like life, typically they're not even present in their life. And their whole prayer time with God is, will you, would you do this, God, please? So they're not even like, here I am, here you are, yay. They're like, once all this happens and all my life is put back together, then I can be present that way. That never works. God accepted you before you even said yes. God accepted you in the midst of however much sin you have in your life. He said, you're worthy and went to the cross for you. You were the joy set before him, and he would have gone even if you said no. Because he values you that much. And if we don't learn how to be present with God, we won't appreciate the people around us and be present with them. We won't love them. And for me, like this generation, our love language is quality time. And if you go to the poorest of the poor, the richest of the rich, and they value you and you give them quality time, it's the same result. They pour their heart out. They open their heart. They're vulnerable. But, I mean, you can serve them all you want. You can say all kinds of nice things to them. That may not open their heart. But if you're present in a real way, what a beautiful thing that God, the king of the universe, the God above all gods, decides to step in and hang out with you every day. And if you'll be present with him, he'll stop and be present with you. I don't even understand that kind of God. And when you come out of that place and you start to, to open your eyes to what he loves because you're experiencing his heart in that place of just being present with him, you start to see what he loves. You'll start to become a powerful influencer of what he loves. See, I'm not looking to have to be awesome. I don't have to be awesome. I don't even have a desire to be awesome anymore. I want to do awesome things, yes, and all that kind of stuff. But I used to want to have to be awesome. Like I, I looked at certain people who had certain types of gifts or certain types of talents or certain types of speaking ability or all that kind of stuff. And I was like, that is my benchmark. I will become that. Then I will feel alive. That's I've been dead to that for so long. It's like I still am on a betterment journey. I'm constantly trying to get better and I love that you guys shared with me this morning that you're going through communications classes. We're making a lot of our, our people go through communications classes. And I've been to so many different types of speaking classes and, you know, had speaking coaching. And I, I went to hosting class because I said, God, I want to be, I want to be um, fun. I want to be present, like, with what I'm speaking because I was kind of, I sounded like Mike Bickle too much because he says God a certain way. So I'd say God that way, God. I was around Mike Pickle for 12 years. So I'm like, God, I sound like a mini Mike. And I'm like, no, I'm me. So how do I find me? So I'm always on a betterment journey. But even with all that, it doesn't matter. My heart is what matters. Your heart is what matters. Are you present with God? And do you love what he loves? And do you expect that he's loving them without you even being present? So when you show up, you're just adding to the love he's already bringing. And your goal isn't salvation. Your goal isn't to prophesy. Your goal isn't to heal the sick. Your goal is to love well. And if those things happen, it's part of that love. 
I just think we have to put the goal back on the major, not the minors. And then when it's on the major, people feel like there's no other agenda. I feel like some people, and I'm not against multi-level marketing, but um, I, I don't like a lot of the models of multi-level marketing, but I know there's some new ones out that are good. But I feel like the church, a lot of times we come across when we're reaching out to people who aren't like us, we're trying to get them in our downline. Like we're just trying to draft them into our system. And so have you ever been with a friend who all of a sudden they change the subject and all of a sudden they're telling you about this product helped me feel so much better. You're sick. You should take this product. And you're like, you're selling this product, aren't you? And if I buy this, I have to sign up for a gold plan, not just for the product itself. Don't I like you're, I mean, it goes from like a, Hey, to all of a sudden you're like, I don't want to start a business. I just want to feel better. Come on. Like, and they're like, no, but this coffee is the best coffee you'll ever have. And then you taste it and it's like trash. You can buy a cheaper version at Costco. But you're like, okay, but I'm not saying all of them are like that. But you can feel when somebody switches and uses relationship with agenda. And that does not work in the spirit. It doesn't work. So if your agenda is, I will save you. My responsibility is your eternal salvation. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he sent his only beloved son, that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. We know that John three seventeen favorite version message Bible. And Jesus didn't come to condemn the world of sin, but to put things right back the way the father desired them. That's crazy. So he didn't even come to convict the world. Like you don't, you're not someone's Holy spirit. They have their own. It's the big one. My mom used to say that to me when I was at home. I'd, I was just like really religious phase in high school where I thought I was everyone's Holy spirit. And I was like, I don't need two Holy spirits. Thank you. You don't have to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I'd be like, Mom, could Jesus find you if you were doing that today? <laughs> My mom's like so pure and holy. It's just it's so stupid. But there's a lot of us that are like, we think we're the police of holiness or of character. And we put that above love. In our church, we have a philosophy that you're responsible for you and I'm responsible for me. Which means that your life doesn't reflect me. And I remember going out to... A, uh, a breakfast or kind of a brunch with this young couple. And I forgot about a pastor's meeting I was supposed to be at. That was at the same place I went to the brunch. That's so kind of awkward. And a restaurant, there was a bunch of entertainment pastors. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be there. Hey guys. And they're all like walking by our table. Sean, Sean, are you coming over? I'm like, no, 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 sorry. I made other plans. I double booked. I'm really sorry. But the couple I was with, they were pastor's kids. And I did end up going to the pastor's lunch too. I had enough time, but um, they were pastor's kids and they were amazing and, but they weren't like necessarily on the track that we would be on, you know, like that, that they weren't in our river necessarily of their God belief system. They believe in God, but they, they knew enough to have to be saved, but not to want to be saved. And so they were going through that kind of period of like, I don't even know what I want out of my relationship with God. And I'm totally comfortable with that. I don't have to manage that. I don't have to put pressure on them. I can just love them and let them manage that whole dynamic because I can't change that. I can get them absorbed into my structure of a church or something, but that's not really going to change the heart of that. That'll just delay the inevitable process that they have identity issues from how they were raised. And their parents are, one of their, the, the girl, her parents are very famous pastors and leaders that you would probably know about, at least have heard about them. And so she's telling me kind of her story and she's been super wrong, going, well, I loved it. And then she's like, and then these people, they were all a-holes. And she just cusses really loud. And the group of pastors is right here. I never thought of it. They're, they're right here. And they hear, like, they see me spending time with these people. And she goes, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, what in the heck just happened? I was still unaware of the dynamic because she, she had a political mindset or spirit because she'd been around her parents that she had to manage their reputation with hers by being good at all times around people. But she was never really good in her heart. Like, she was never, like, she loved cussing. Like that's just one of her fun things that she likes cuss words. And so she cussed all the time, but not around her parents or around anybody that could see that it would be negative towards them. And so she's trying to manage my reputation by shutting down. And I'm like, I don't understand what just happened. Can you explain? She goes, I'm so sorry for cussing. I'm so sorry. I'm like, why? Like you, you just cussed like a few minutes ago. What, what's the difference? She goes, well, all those pastors are sitting there and they know you. And I go, why would your reputation affect my reputation with those pastors? They have no idea who I'm with. Like they don't, I mean, you could be someone from, you know, the entertainment industry. You could be someone from business. You could be someone I just met, you know, here at the restaurant. You could be, why would you feel like you have to be a certain performance for it to be my friend? I just want you to be you. And she's like, she starts weeping and she goes, I've always had to manage my parents' reputation. And it was fundamentally the reason that performance that was on, it was a reason why she didn't like God. And I feel like that's such a great picture of how we try and 
manage each other's relationships and reputations, and it's so political and weird. It's like we don't have any church pressure in Los Angeles. I don't know if you do in Las Vegas, but somebody doesn't show up in church. There's no church police who's like, oh, notice you didn't come today. Didn't see you at church. We don't have that. But it, when I was in the Midwest, it was like every week. If you showed up 15 minutes late, you get a phone call like, hey, so what's going on? You didn't have to be on a team. They'd be like, are you okay? Are you sick? Do you want us to come over and pray for you? In other words, we are finding out about you. And that's called politics. That's like, that's not relational management. That's weird governance. And God's looking for us. I remember this lady in our church came in and she's a, she has a spiritual mom in our church now, but she was detoxing like a religious spirit where she was in a church that was very governing that way. And so she was going up to girls. Now we attract a lot of entertainment people and half of them aren't even saved or they think they are and they may not be. I don't know. And so like, I mean, our regional gatherings, a lot of times we don't even know who's walking with God. We're just glad they're there and we all worship together. So she's going up to young girls and going, oh, yeah, that cleavage is like, right? oh, no. No, you can't wear stuff that that's short because, or like pants that are that short or shorts that are that short because that's just not healthy. That's not spiritual. And she was like telling girls as a mom, as a mom, I need to tell you that that's inappropriate. So I hear her doing it to a girl who I know is not saved, who's never been to our church before, and who she's like policing. And I go over to her and I go, oh, we need to talk for a second. I said, how come you feel like you need to tell her how to dress? I don't understand. Well, I'm a mom in the spirit. And I go, but you're not her mom. I don't even understand how you think your spiritual authority translates to a stranger to tell them what to do. I don't understand that. There's no relationship equity. So you've just violated relationship. You're not looking through the eyes of love anymore. You're not giving her the benefit of the doubt that she has her own connection to God, her own purpose in life, and she's doing what she's doing. And we're in the Hollywood industry, and you're coming to this church where you think, I said, tell me what else you think is inappropriate. So she points out like six people, and I go, none of that's bad. I don't have a problem with any of what you just pointed at. She goes, oh, my gosh. I said, why do you have a problem with that? And it wasn't like, in a, like to her, she wanted, you know, shirts down to the, the wrists and pants down to the ankles or whatever. I mean, she was just, like, very conservative. And I go, why do you think this is bad and why is it your job? And she starts crying because she realized at that moment, oh, my gosh, I'm religious. And I'm sticking people under what I think is love. I'm sticking them in my box of what I think is holy. And I've actually violated love. And I wonder there's a distance between me and a lot of people. Not a few people, a lot of people. And so she stopped. And I said, we don't need police here. We don't need garment police. Let people come as they are. And if they don't have clothes on, I'll stop it. We're not talking about my leaders being inappropriate. We're talking about just normal people coming in. They don't have like a membership clause that says, I will dress in total purity. And this is what it looks like. Here's diagrams. No. But love has eyes, and it thinks the best even when it sees something that's not compatible. I mean, there's so many reasons. My last story in all of this is I remember one time I was the church ministry captain at, at Mike Bickle's church, and I was part of his pr- prophet ministry or whatever. And so I was in charge of, like, 250 ministry team people this one service, and we had, like, Mike Bickle and Randy Clark were preaching, and I was, like, trying to keep that environment safe because it was crazy down there. It was, like... We had the most crazy people. We had three of the two witnesses went to our church. And the first two were best friends. And the third one, he was just like one of the two witnesses. God showed him that. And then the first two weren't friends anymore. They, got, they broke up in their friendship. And then one of them became best friends with the other one. And then they were the two witnesses. And this one was on the out. And this kind of stuff happens around like flaky culture, you know. And Mike had an awesome culture in the middle of what he was building. But then on the out, outskirts, there was some weird stuff back in the day. And so I was laughing, just going, this is so weird. So I was trying to keep the environment safe. And this guy, who was the most effeminate dancer I've ever seen, was dancing over to the side. And it was like complete, and there was no music. And Mike was preaching. And he's doing this, you know, like this, this thing. And I'm like, oh, dear God. So I sent one of my captains over to him and said, go shut that down. That's weird, you know. So he goes over to the guy. And he, luckily, he did something well. And he talked to the guy. I could see it. It was all the way across a 5,000-member auditorium. So he goes over and speaks to him. And then I see my guy, like, oh, and, like, run away, like, like, and he's, like, almost crying or something. I couldn't tell what was going on. I'm like, what a weenie. I'm going to go over there. So I go over to the guy, and luckily I had enough maturity to ask this. Hey, is there a reason why you're still dancing? Instead of, excuse me, sir, blah, 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 blah. But I went up and I said, is there a reason why you're still dancing? He goes, that's my wheelchair. I haven't walked in 17 years. I just got healed. I'm like, you keep dancing. And I, like, walked away. I'm like, I'm done. But it, it did something inside of me where it took out presumption. 
where I just presume the worst instead of thinking the best. Like, I mean, he deserved to dance as much as he wanted, you know? It's like we have one of our friends, she laughs so loud all the time. And someone, she in our environment, she'll just laugh the entire time, like the holy laughter thing. And I'm not like into people like, ah, in the middle of service when there's only one. But she's awesome. And so someone came up to me and goes, you need to shut that down. Like, you need to stop. That's so distracting. I go, well, and they didn't know her story, but I did. I said, next time you're healed of, like, Crohn's disease, and you've never smiled your whole life before that because you hated yourself, and God grew a foot of intestines back inside of you, you can start to tell people what they can and can't do, too. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, she's laughing for a reason. So it's like that place of, like, you know, love has eyes, and it's not yours. It's his. And if you rely on what you can see and hear and know, even in your maturity of scriptural truth can be misinterpreted through the lack of love. Amen? Wow, that was fun. What a weird day. If you're visiting today, don't hold them responsible for me, you know? It's like, I always tell people that when we're at churches and people are visiting. Sometimes people come up to me and go, Wow, that was a great message. And but some of it I didn't get it all. I'm like, go ask the pastors, they'll disciple you. No. <laughs> Give you work to do. Just kidding. Um, I have a few words for people and it's good. I'm 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 practicing words of knowledge again and just so bear with me if I'm inaccurate or accurate or whatever. I'm just trying to love. And so the goal of revelation is never information, it's always to feel loved by God. And so I will say, like for the church, when I spoke to you guys yesterday, um, and I saw like uh, I saw your mother, that was fun, by her name, which is fun, Little House of Prairie, Laura. And that she brings a purity to things and that God's, like, really using you. I think it's beautiful. And then I saw the year 2009, which is when you guys started your church and how you're in a new season of Transformation Alliance. And then I was seeing some more stuff, but I just, it was so fun to see just, like, some of the details. But I was seeing, like, I don't know if, I think I'm seeing this because it's one of your birthdays or something, but I saw September 11th. It's your birthday. Thank you, Jesus. I'm like inside going, <gasps> that's pretty bold to say. And I feel like the Lord's saying that there's things that people ha- have looked at the wrong way, just like there's been a tragedy on 9-11, and yet it's a celebration point for you. I feel like there's things that other people don't see correctly because they haven't seen this, what's worth celebrating over those seasons and times and days. You're going to teach people how to celebrate that God is good. It just as you're being celebrated, like 9-11, I'm sure, is never about 9-11 for you. It's about your 9-11. And I feel like you're going to help reprogram a lot of people. And I feel like you guys are about to inherit uh, a mature crowd that's detoxifying from religion, like I talked about the first day. That you're about to, your church is about to get expanded. And I feel like and I say this with, with fear of the Lord. I don't, I would never, this is not a curse to any of the churches or anything else, but I feel like there's some churches in this area of Hendersonville that have been on the shutting down phase. Like they're on, there's something that's happening where they're, they're, I don't know if it would be a negative or whatever, but there's a fading away of some of the authority that some of the churches have had here. And because of that, there's been a churchless people, a people who are spiritually homeless that God's about to call here. And they're not all unhealthy or all, it's not all like drama, you know, it's, but I feel like there's been people who've been in a holding pattern, some for two and four years who've been not having a church. So they're doing the church online through Bethel or they're doing whatever. And, but they're going to find this place and this family and they're going to feel at home here. And I feel like the Lord is going to teach them quickly to detoxify because the spirit of celebration of celebrating community and life that you have. And I feel like even, um, holidays and these kinds of things are important, just like the Jewish feasts were important. I feel like holidays and just times of celebration of people's lives are really important. And, and the Lord is going to celebrate you in such a strong way. And I feel like it's funny because I felt like there's such an authority on your life that um, most of the time men have, but in this generation, women get to have too. And I think it's beautiful. And I think it's a fun partnership for both of you because of it. So bless you. That's so good. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I'm so hesitant to do this when you're dancing. I, no one ever likes to, I hope this is okay, and I hope this is even true. But I was born in 1974, but my, I was conceived in 1973, which is a significant year. And is that your year you were born, 1973? Now, the reason why this is significant, you're going to like this. I just called you out on how old you are. But <laughs> I'm so glad you're not that kind of girl. Thank God. But um, I, 
Jill Austin, one of my friends, is prophetic. She's like, Sean, don't do that to women. I don't care if you get it from God. It's not fair. You know, she hid her passport from me when we traveled together because she didn't want me to know how old she was. And she'd be like offended if I looked over, you know. But um, uh, I saw this year in Bob Jones. I don't know if you've heard. Do you know who Bob Jones is, the prophet? So he's this prophet who helped inspire IHOP and inspire Reading and inspire Morningstar. He's considered the father of the call and the prophetic father of the call. So he's given prophetic words to five key movements that have shaped them. And one of the words he gave me is that uh, he had this whole word, and it's, it's, it's too long of a story to tell, but I'm going to give you the nutshell, which is back in 1969, he began to go to churches all throughout Missouri and prophesy that there's a spirit of abortion that's trying to come against a generation and that the government's going to try and legalize abortion because there's a generation that was about to emerge that would be a Moses generation, not just a Moses. And that the enemy is trying to, like, like Herod and like Pharaoh, trying to take out a generation of people who were anointed for the, the work of the, the bringing the kingdom to the earth. And that he saw that when it was legalized that year, that the people who were born that year that made it would have a special calling on their life where they would forerun a whole army movement of God. And so he had this whole thing. Well, then in 1973, like everybody threw him out of their church and was like, no, this isn't God. No one would ever legalize abortion. But in 1973, it was legalized. So a lot of these same pastors who threw him out brought him in and said, tell us what you saw about this because this is incredible. And all these people who had, you know, were pregnant or were having babies were like, we, we need to hear this word. But there was something about the 1973 generation of people like Jason Upton is 1973. And Fatin Grzeski, who's the leader of the Cry Hollywood and the Cry um, Canada, who's literally changed laws in Canada for, against abortion and pro-Israel. They've, she's created pro-Israel. It's the strongest pro-Israel movement of any government on the earth. And she, she was born in 1973. And several other people were born in 1973. When Bob saw me, he goes, you were born in 1973. And I said, actually, I was born in 1974. And he goes, no, you were conceived July of 1973. Ask your parents. And I was, which was crazy. So, so I was somehow counted in there, even though it was the next year. But I feel like the Lord's highlighting this to me because there's something about your life that's about to make great sense. And there's a governing authority on your heart that you're going to bring something of his kingdom through you that's not just an inspirational message, but you actually have a builder inside of you to build some things. And I feel like the Lord's showing me that uh, uh, you've always been a strong supporter but uh, and, and a connector for people, but I feel like he's going to step up your authority and you're just going to go through phases of growing in your authority until you're like a captain in the ranks, you know, just in a beautiful way. And I'm seeing, and this is your husband next to you, and um, does, do you have like uh, someone in your life named Ed or... Edward. Oh, your name's Ed. <laughs> I don't always prophesy like this, you guys. Sometimes it's like, and I see a yellow light. You know, like, this is nice when I'm getting information. Oh, you read lips. Okay, Ed. Ed, I just saw the Lord moving on your, on your heart, and there's some things that have been in your heart to plan and do in the past that never came into um, existence, but they're still in your heart alive. And God's going to show you how to bring plans to inspired ideas and bring them all the way into the natural and into fruitfulness. And I feel like you are an entrepreneur and you're a forward thinker and God's going to bless you even financially in a great way because some of the ideas that are in your spirit. And I feel like because of you, some of the things that, uh, I just saw, um, it's so funny. I just saw Gwen Shaw. Is your name Gwen? Is that you? Yeah, what's your name? Glenda. I saw Gwen Shaw. She's a handmaidens for Christ. It's cool. She's an apostolic woman and, and um, has a building anointing. And I feel like the Lord's going to call some things where you guys will be able to finance some of the things that happen in the kingdom because of the gifts that are in your life. Bless you. Wow. Is it like, I'm seeing like, I saw Ed, then Edward, then Eduardo. Is that an Edward? What is it? What is your full name? Edward. I like Eduardo. That's fine. That's <laughs> no, not Jewish. Eduardo's Hispanic. Um, um, the couple who's into fitness, are they still around? The, oh, there you guys are. I, I'm like looking over towards you. Are they around? I don't know. Um, I was just seeing like a... Um, a calling on your children. How many kids do you guys have? Two and a half. Three. That's so good. I was seeing a calling on your, your children um, in the creative arts and in creativity and in entertainment. 
And I feel like God is, um, is about to give you a leap of faith that you could make for your children's professional careers because it's not just when, you know, at least one of them, if not all three of them, it'll be when they're younger, not when they're just older, when they make their own choices. But I feel like there's something you're going to help form. And I feel like um, even for you guys, like there's part of you that, that um, was inspired when you were younger by entertainment industry to some degree. And I feel like the Lord's going to bring up some of those dreams. And it's not that you'll live vicariously through your children, but you're going to be able to manage some things that will touch the heart of what you were born with that you've never touched for yourselves yet. And I feel like it's going to impart a great ambition inside of you guys for greater accomplishment than just the dreams you've had. I feel like the dreams you've had feel big to you, but they're not actually as big as the Lord's dreams for you. And I feel like you're going to go through a season of expansion. I feel maybe the, the, there's been a four or five year period that's been harder than normal where it's been, um, there's been a lot of oppression and circ- not just natural circumstances that have been off that have been intense. And I see maybe since, um, 2009 or so, 2008, uh, it started where there's been kind of a wilderness of experience where one hard thing after another accumulates. And so you haven't been able to build that place of faith past that because for every good report, there's something bad that seems to match it circumstantially, especially with extended family and with finances. And so I feel like the Lord's showing me that the cycle of five years is going to be cut off. And you're going to come into five years of accumulation and that you, even, even in your anticipation realm, if you can allow God to heal your heart to where something good starts to form and you're anticipating the ball to drop, I, I just feel like he wants to recondition your hearts today that something good starts to form and then blessings added. And I feel like you're going to feel like this next season, I don't know when it shifted. It didn't shift today. It's shifted in the last two months sometime where he started to do something different in your life, where it's felt different, like there's a cutoff from warfare. And I'm just acknowledging it today. It's something that you guys did together, something that you guys prayed through, something that you guys determined in your heart that became different. It's not because I'm prophesying or I'm an amazing prophet. It's because you guys have done some work that has allowed a shift to happen in the heavens over your life, and this warfare is going to stop. And things that have been long delayed are going to start to just remanifest in fruit. And uh, how old's your oldest? Is it a boy? How old is he? Oh, he must be the one I saw walking with you. Okay, so three years old. And so, yeah, it was. Um, it would have been five years ago then because I, I see like in your oldest, your oldest son, your children have already been in the heart of God before they ever came. And your, your oldest boy, your, your son, I see, um, uh, I see like this developmental grace on his education that's so strong. And there's something about the development that's going to shift now. There's something about, there's something that's been challenged that the Lord is saying it won't be challenged and that he's such a creative being that, that uh, there's part of him that has not connected yet that will connect very soon that you're going to be so excited about because he's going to come into his fullness even at a young age. So bless you guys. Wow, it's so good. I love the prophetic. It's like a cheat sheet on ministry. It's so great. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just checking to see if there's anything else. You guys are an amazing group of people. And he loves you. How many of you have ever been around the prophetic like this before? It's a lot of you, I know. You need to ask God that you would have more, that you could prophesy more. And that you would have more information. I've just been hungry. So I've been, I'm not like, and then I was gifted and I was touched at the age of seven. And now I do this. I'm, it's not like that at all. I've been like going, God, people need to know your love even more tangibly. So give me more so I can show you off more so I can make you famous. So it's not like this thing. It's a progressive journey of taking risk. It's not like, uh, and then the angel appeared, you know. I hate that answer. It's like the worst answer. It's like they throw it on the God card. I'm awesome because the angel is with me. I'm like, No, God is coming in my life, and I'm making consistent choices to grow in the Spirit. I just want to encourage you to grow in the Spirit. If you're getting hungry to prophesy, like especially once you do the Holy Spirit series, go for it as a community because I feel like this church is going to have a strong prophetic ministry. Well, I'm going to end here. I just bless you guys. I'm going to have you all stand up, though, and pray for you. And I'm just going to end here. And I just enjoyed being with your church a whole bunch. And Chris, I'm sorry you're not here. If you're watching, we love you. Jesus, I pray for this group of people. And I pray, God, that this church, that as you are bringing them into a transition for a greater alliance and greater purpose and growth and just kingdom impact, God, I pray that you would just really bring clarity to purpose. And we ask for the kind of favor that 
is the favor that the Jewish people would pray over each other. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Lord, that kind of, that kind of blessing where it says exceedingly abundantly more than anybody else. God, give him that kind of blessing. Favor to grow in places that you can only get to if God gives it to you. I just pray over you right now, blessing, blessing. Lord, let people feel blessed just by coming to this church. Lord, I pray that you would break, um, break off even just the residue of warfare from the last season and let us feel new and clean and fresh. I even pray for a season of sleep, Lord, people who've been suffering from insomnia or just exhaustion. We just pray over you right now, a season of rest, a season of rest, a season of sleeping nights, nights where you can really go deep, a season of just where the, the durable will of life is not a durable will. Lord, just bring your rest. Thank you that there's a commanded place of rest that we can enter into. Just revitalize us so we can inherit everything we've been laboring for, God. In Jesus' name.